Good morning, everyone. Awesome. Um, Our passage this morning is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Thank you, Gene. Good morning, I'm Pastor Brooks. We'll be bringing you the word this morning. Before we get to the text, I want to just let you know that our Guatemala team, they left yesterday early, early in the morning. They arrived uh, late last night, and they currently, right now, as we speak, are headed out to the village where they're going to be doing most of their work. They are working with a ministry called uh, Bethel Ministries, and this is uh, Mission uh, Mobility. They're taking wheelchairs and different, uh, different items down for those who are physically impaired, and they're also going to be doing some, some home construction to help those in need. So what we're going to do before we get to the text is, together as a congregation, we are going to lift them up in prayer. So would you please join me as we pray for them. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to partner with you uh, to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And we pray for for this team, the short-term mission trip that's in Guatemala right now. Uh, Lord, may they be your hands and your feet, and may you speak and minister mercy through each of them. We pray, Lord, as they come across those and they distribute wheelchairs to those who, who cannot, um, can't move around on their own. We pray, Father, that Christ, your love would be exhibited through them. We pray, Father, for them as they interact with people and they share the good news of the gospel, that Christ, you would use them to draw all people to yourself. We pray that as they do this, that they themselves, the members of this team, would be encouraged. They would see you at work, that they would feel your power, that they would see your wonders uh, done, and that the love of Christ would, be, uh, would just be dis- on display through them. We pray for their safety. We pray, Father, for you to glorify yourself through them. And thank you, Lord. We look forward to report when they come back next week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we looked at last week, I was not here. I was in Cedar Falls teaching uh, in, uh, for Perspectives course. But Dr. Gilbaugh brought you through Genesis 12, and we talked about the calling, the calling. So God calls Abraham. He calls all of us into a personal relationship with himself. But here's the reality. Sunday's calling. So you, you, get, that, you get that message. You get that, that sense of God's purpose for your life, and you, you have this, this picture of 
destiny that God's hand is on you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to use you. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And you're like, yes, yes, this is by faith. I'm going to, I'm going to obey this calling. I'm going to step out. I'm going to go. And, and then Monday comes and then Mondays come. So you have Sunday's calling and that leads generally follows into Monday's failure. Monday's failure. You blow it. You lose your temper. You lose your coal, your cool. You give in to lust. You give in to greed. You give in to apathy. You take the, you take the, the, the path of least resistance. You give in to your fears. And Sunday's calling leads to Monday's failure. Oh, maybe it's not failure. Maybe it's not your shortcomings. Maybe it's not that, but it's, it's Tuesday's crisis. It's Tuesday's crisis. And in Genesis, Genesis 14, we, we see the, the crisis where there's, there's war in the region and, and Abraham's nephew is, is carted off and, and Abraham has to go rescue him. And so it's either failure or crisis or circumstances. And, and that leads to Wednesday's doubt. That leads to Wednesday's doubt. As, as the scripture that, that Gene just read, if you open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham, comes to Abraham, and let's just take a look at, at what he says. He says, do not fear. Now, what does that imply? If God comes to you and says, do not fear, what does that mean? That you're currently in fear. You're currently in fear. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You see, when, when Sunday's calling gives way to Monday's failure, which leads to Tuesday's crisis, which leads to Wednesday's doubt, and you're like, I, how, I don't know. I feel, yes, I'm called, but... How is this going to happen? And there's the anxiety, there's the fear. So there's doubt, there's doubt. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Abraham wrestling with doubt and faith simultaneously, faith and doubt simultaneously. Two things we're going to look at in this, in this text, Genesis chapter 15. First of all, the acknowledgement and the reality of doubt, it's a thing. It was a thing for Abraham. It's a thing for you. It's a thing for you. Everyone struggles with doubt. And the second thing we're going to look at is focusing on the promise and the promise maker. So we're going to see Abraham's doubt, the reality of his doubt, but then we're going to see a shift take place where God's going to help him focus on his promise to Abraham, but also the character of the promise maker. So let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises to us. Thank you for you being the promise maker. Would you turn our eyes off of our problems, off of our, 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 our weakness, off of our failings, and off of the circumstances that we find ourselves in? Would you lift them and help us to place our eyes on you? the promise maker, and the promises that you have for us. Lord, would you help us? Would you increase our faith? We do believe, but like the, the dad in Mark chapter 9 with the demon-possessed boy, we ask you to help us overcome our unbelief. God, we, do, we ask this so that, that we might 
uh, grow in faith, that we might trust you more, and that in trusting you more, we might walk in confidence, not in our own strength, but in your strength. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. So Lord, we pray that you would be our strength today. May the scriptures be clear. May you speak through them. And Father, I pray that you would use the preaching of your word to exalt Christ this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we go. After these things, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield, your great, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. See, what doubt is, is a feeling of uncertainty. That's, that's what doubt is. It's a feeling of uncertainty. So you remember the call last week, Dr. Gilbaugh took you through Genesis 12. So Abraham, here's the call of God. He says, Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a very great nation, and I will bless all nations through your offspring, and that offspring is singular. So there is going to be a one that's going to come someday that's going to bless the nations. So Abraham's going to be the father of many nations. Well, that's contingent upon an offspring. That requires a child, and there is no child at this point. There is no child at this point. So there's a sense of uncertainty. There's a sense of uncertainty. And he is wrestling with this. And he even calls God out. Abraham said, behold, you've given me no offspring. You've given me a promise, but you've given me no way to actually fulfill this promise. It's, it's almost like Pharaoh saying to, say, saying to the, the Hebrews, Fulfill your quota, fulfill your quota of bricks, but you provide the bricks and you provide the straw. You have to do everything. And Abraham's like, yeah, this promise is, it's null and void without an offspring. And you've given me no offspring. There is uncertainty and doubt swirling, swirling in his mind. So you've been called. You've been called to follow Jesus. You've been given all of these great promises in Christ. And you, you've, many of you have accepted that calling and you've, you've stepped out in faith and you've trusted Jesus and you've left your quote-unquote metaphorical homeland and you are on this journey, you're on this, this faith trek, if you will. And then Monday comes and you get punched in the mouth and you've failed and you've gone down into Egypt and you've pawned your, your wife off with your sister and that whole debacle like you looked at last week. And there's been great failure and there's great crisis. And you're looking at this calling thing and you're not sure, you're not sure if you can do it or God can do it or either one of you can do it, but you're just doubting. Now, is doubt normal? Yes then why do we pretend as Christians as if it's a taboo subject that needs to be avoided? We, we pretend like it's not an issue, or if we struggle with doubt, we're, we're, we're slow to admit it, and we're slow to take that to God. You see, there's two extremes regarding doubt. That is that, oh, Christians should never doubt. Christians should never doubt. And 
if you are in an environment where that kind of, that attitude is expressed and communicated, what it will do is it will create an environment of superficial and untested faith. Parents, the worst thing that you can do for your kids is to discourage them sharing their problems and their struggles with faith. Because they'll learn to hide that from you. They'll learn to hide that from you, and they'll pretend as if everything is okay, and then they'll go off to high school, they'll go off to college, and then someone will address their doubts. And, but it won't be in an environment where they, can feel, they feel comfortable to share. That's a dangerous environment. And, and, and a church, a church that doesn't encourage people to be open and honest about what they're struggling with is, is a church of pretenders. That's not healthy. That's not, Abraham is not a pretender. Do you, do you see how honest he is with God? I'm really struggling. Yeah, I get the calling and I've, I'm trying to follow, but how is this going to work? I don't get it. I don't get it. And there's another, but there's another extreme you want to avoid regarding doubt. There's the, the, the extreme of, oh, we never doubt. We never doubt. Doubt is terrible. We don't want to doubt. The other extreme is we doubt everything. That's just cynicism. That's just cynicism. That creates an environment of superficial unbelief. Superficial unbelief in that the only thing not doubted is doubt. There's a lot of people in this world where everything is suspect. Everything is suspect. They doubt everything except their doubts. Except their doubts. So both extremes are to be avoided. Reality is that everybody struggles with doubt. Everybody struggles with doubt, and we need reassurance. Let's take a look at how God reassures. Now, if you'd never read this story, if you'd never read this story, you don't know what's coming next. Let's say that this is a movie you've never seen. How do you anticipate a covenant God who made this promise responding to this almost accusation? Well, no, it's not almost an accusation. It is an accusation. Behold, you have not given me an offspring. How do you think this God is going to respond? How dare you question my integrity? That might be how you might think God is going to respond. And some of you live your Christian life as if this God is waiting to just... Brooks, I'm going to knock you out. Some of you have this idea that God is like that. How does God respond to Abraham's vulnerability here when he's really struggling. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, or God does, there's two things he doesn't do with Abraham's doubt. He doesn't backhand him. He doesn't rebuke him for his doubt. He knows his weakness. This, he doesn't do that. And nor does he work in algebraic proof. He doesn't sit down and show him through empirical evidence that this is how it's going to work so that logically he can see that, oh, yes, two plus two is four. He doesn't give him empirical proof. That's not what he does, nor does he backhand him for his doubt. So what does he do? What does he do? God reassures Abraham by pointing Abraham 
to look at the promise maker. Look at the, he says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he says, look towards the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. What he does is he takes him outside. He says, look, Abraham, take your eyes off of yourself. Look up into the heavens. I spoke those stars into existence. This is not a hard thing for me to bring a a child into your home. I'm omniscient. I have the power to bring things into being that were not there before. Out of nothing, something. Out of nothing, the universe. If you can count those stars, then your, 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 your offspring are going to be more numerous than them. So what he does is he takes Abraham's eyes off of his circumstances, off of his physical limitations, and he points them to creation, which points Abraham to God's omniscient nature and his, 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 his majesty, his splendor. Turns his eyes from himself and he puts them on him. Now, so how does Abraham respond? Watershed verse in all of the Bible. This is a huge, huge verse. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's writings, you know that Paul riffs on this considerably. This is the basis by which God declares Abraham righteous. He says, Abraham, you are, I count you as righteous. Now, what is righteous? What is, if you say, that person is righteous, what do we mean by that? It means that they're good. It's they're good. It means that they're, they're just. It, it's, pointing to a, it's, it's pointing to the attribute of, of holiness in them. So he hasn't done anything yet. God's not saying, I see that you've done X, Y, and Z, and you've demonstrated your righteousness. Therefore, I declare you righteous by virtue virtue of the fact that you've demonstrated yourself to be righteous. Nothing's happened yet. He simply says, okay, I trust you. And God says, I count you, I consider, I declare that you are righteous because of what you have believed. Now, Paul takes that as an example of If we trust God, we are declared righteous and we are declared right in his eyes, which leads to righteousness. That's the cart before the horse. It's faith produces works. And this is the the beginning of faith. This is the impetus of faith, which then leads to works. But this is a watershed verse. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness And Abraham never doubted again. And all God's people said, amen. And we should go to Bluebird now or wherever we're going to have breakfast, right? No, no. So does Abraham believe? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. And what's the result? His faith is, he's now counted to him as righteousness. How long does this faith last? And what's the degree of this faith? Well, just let's look at the next verse. And he said to him, this is God speaking, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But, verse 8, but he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I'm going to possess it? 
does anybody notice the, the waffling here? One minute he believes and it's credited to him as righteousness. The next minute he's like, yeah, but how do I know? How can I know? He's, he's back to the pendulum is swinging. I believe. I'm not sure. I believe. I'm not sure. I believe. This is the same conversation. It's not like, and two weeks later, Abraham said, we're, we're just, we're in a conversation. I believe. It's credited as righteousness. But how will I know? He, that's a doubt statement. He's struggling with doubt again. He's struggling with doubt again. This speaks to the tenacity of doubt. The tenacity, it just, it hangs on. It just, it just clings. How many of you have had moments where you feel so confident in God and you feel so confident in your relationship with Jesus Christ and you're just filled with joy? You have those moments? How many of you, within minutes, can go from that to how is this going to happen? I'm a failure. I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure if God really loves me. Is this evidence of God's discipline or is this evidence against God's abandonment of me? And is this a normal thing? Of course it is. But if you live in a context, in a culture where it's not okay to voice your doubts, you pretend as if that's not you. And you never really grow deep in your faith as Abraham does. I want to encourage you to have the same kind of honesty and integrity with God that Abraham does. Abraham, as you witnessed last week, is not awesome. There's some epic failures in his life, but he is honest. David, another one, is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And yet that psalm, that statement, that statement about David was was written after the Bathsheba incident. So we got adultery, we have inter, or a, a, a national scandal, we have murder, we have cover-up, we've got it all. How is it that that guy gets to be a man after God's own heart? Because he's honest. Because he's repentant. And this is what Abraham is. He's honest. Oh Lord, how, how am I to know? How am I to know that I shall possess it? You see, doubt has, there's two questions for, for you, for me, for those of us, for Abraham, people that struggle with doubt. And I'm not talking about the skeptic who doubts everything. I'm talking about the follower of Christ, the person who is sincere in their faith and yet still doubts and still struggles. There's always two looming questions and Abraham has both of them. Number one, can I trust God? He makes all these grand promises, Right? I will give you an offspring that shall come from your own loins. I shall give your, 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 the, your offspring an inheritance of, of this land. I shall bless all nations through you. And God makes promises to you. I shall never leave you or forsake you. I shall always love you. I sh- you, you will never be tempted beyond what you can bear. Ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. And then, and then we're living this life of faith and we're like, really? And some of it is, can, it's a question of, can I trust God? Can I trust God? Will he come through? Will he come through? 
God, what if you fail me? What if you let me down? Have you ever been disappointed with God? If you are, have never been disappointed with God, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. But I'm going to step out here. If you've never been disappointed with God, that's probably because you've never asked him for anything that would require faith for him to deliver. That's not an accusation. It's just a, well, I guess it sort of is. But I, I, th- I think the point is, I think everybody has, in a sense, felt let down. God, you didn't come through for me in the way that I was hoping that you would. I'm not, I'm not calling his, question, his character into question. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that this is what we do as human beings. We're not sure if, if, if we can trust him. It's not that we don't intellectually assent that a good and holy and righteous God is always trustworthy all the time. But that's not where the world, where the real world, where we operate in the real world. We can theologically assent to some truths about God's integrity, but when it comes down to trusting him on a day-to-day level, we're not sure that we can. But I think there's probably a bigger question, and it's not really, at least on the, can I trust God? At least not for me anyway. For me, it's the second one. The second question is, can I trust myself? No. Do you, you remember when after I came back from sabbatical, I, I shared with you this, this little self-revelation that I had about the way I view myself? I'm a gifted idiot. You, you remember that? I at least wrote it in an, uh, in an Insider article. I have this propensity to think of myself. The way I think of myself is I have a gift. I can run my mouth to the benefit of to help others understand the scripture. But other than that, I'm a complete idiot and I'll find a way to screw anything and everything up. I do not trust myself. I don't trust myself. I believe that God can do all things, but not through me. It's not that Abraham doesn't believe in in God's ability. He's looking at himself. He's an old man. He's looking at his wife, and she's an old woman. Yeah. Oh, look, all the stars. All my descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Why? Because of the character and the power of God. Yeah, but God, look at me. You see, he goes from looking at God to, well, look at me. He does not trust. I know know intellectually I'm looking at that, and it's like, well, if I trust God, then it doesn't matter about my infirmities and my weakness and my abilities. Yeah, but we look in the mirror more than we look at the stars. See, that's the problem. We're not fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. We're fixed at the, the idiot in the mirror. That's what we see more often. We're more familiar with our failings than we are his, his power, his, his, his creation. We're... We're not seeing the promise maker. It's not that the promise maker is not there. It's not that we don't know about him. It's not that we don't know his promises. It's, but that's not what we're looking at all the time. We're, I don't trust myself. And why don't you trust yourself? Why doesn't Abraham trust himself? Well, because he was in Egypt just a few years ago and he pawned his wife off as his sister. He has a history of 
unbelief and fear and anxiety and faithlessness. And so do you. And so do I. And yet I've believed and been declared righteous. And I still struggle. How many of you find that perversely encouraging? In a way, it's like, oh, oh. you know what's really cool is when you really read and you understand the scripture and you come to find out that Abraham is not a shining knight with no flaws, but he's a very broken individual. You're like, I I could do that. Because he's not the hero in the story. He's not. God's the hero in this story. God's the hero in this story. So Abraham is looking for reassurance. And God's gracious and he comes to him. He says, don't fear. Do not fear. I am your reward. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Look in the heavens. Look in the stars. And he believes and it's credited him as righteous. And he turns right back around and he, and he struggles with doubt again. Can I trust God? Can I, fo- can I trust myself? Now, here's what God does. He takes the focus off of Abraham and his inability, and he turns it to the promise and the promise maker. Now, this is weird. I want you to, you're not going to see the, the text on the screen, but you're going to see the verse references. So open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to take a look at a really strange passage. First of all, God sends him on a really strange errand. So let's take a look at the, the weird errand here, starting in verse, uh, uh, verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 15. So he says, verse 8, Oh Lord, how am I to know? How am I to know I'm going to possess it? There he is doubting. He's wondering. And God says, Well, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, problem solved. No doubt anymore. Got the grocery list. Just go to the store, get the produce, get the... Get the animals and that'll fix it. What is this about? Well, keep reading. Keep reading. It gets weirder. Keep, keep reading. He says, oh, and he brought these. So he goes on the little errand. He brings them to them. And he says, cut them in half. And he lays each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down and the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now, for those of you who have never gone in depth in this, you're probably thinking the Old Testament is the weirdest thing ever. What in the world? Abraham's struggling with doubt. So the solution to that is, well, we'll get a bunch of animals and cut them up. That fixes everything. No, we're not done with the story. We're not, but follow along here. Uh, But then he makes some promises. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. I think the best way to understand this is Abraham is kind of in a zoned out trance. He's not asleep in the sense that he's not able to cognitively process everything that goes goes on because he's going to tell you what goes on. He's just dumbstruck. And there's this dread and there's this fear And he's immobilized. But he can see everything that's going on. Verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. 
But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the the Amorites is not yet complete. He makes some promises. Weird Aaron, cut up some animals, place them on a uh, place them on the ground here, and then he makes these these very emphatic, very determinative promises. No, for certain. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have an offspring. You're going to have many descendants. Your descendants are going to go down into a, a land that's not their own. They're going to be in bondage for 400 years. But I'm going to bring them out. At just the right time, I'm going to bring them out because the 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 sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its fruition. So in other words, God's got this global plan going on and it's involved one man and his family. So he makes all these promises. So everybody, you're good now? Makes perfect sense, right? Not at all. You go from a grocery list and some dead animals to some promises. What in the world? Okay, now we're, now we're ready to look at what God's doing here. Covenant. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot. I told you it gets weirder. And a flaming torch passed between the pieces. That day, the Lord made a covenant. There it is again. Remember it from, from Noah? Made a covenant with Noah. It's the first time we saw the word covenant in the Bible. This is the second time we see it. Only in this kind of time, it's with Abraham. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham, with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the, Can- the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, and the Amorites, the Termites, and all the other ites. Okay, so... There's a lot of ites here, and that's, he makes a covenant. He makes a covenant. Now, we're going to pause here. We're going to pause here because this is really important that we understand what's going on. When we think of a covenant, it's a promise. It's a promise. But when we think of a covenant, we think more in the lines of a contract, Right? A contract, you, you, you go to a lawyer, they draw up the documents, you get a notary, and they, there's a witness that observes the two parties entering this covenant, and they sign, and then you sign, and the notary signs, and it's a promise. A contract is not quite the same thing as a covenant. A contract is more along the lines, if you do your part and I do my part, we'll get through this. But if you renege or I renege, the contract's null and void. That's not what a covenant is. It's similar. A covenant, and, and, and Abraham, notice he didn't have to be instructed what to do with the animals. Did you notice that? God didn't tell him, cut them in half and separate them. He just did it, as if this is a thing. In ancient times, the word that we derive, the word covenant, it, 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 the root word means to cut. To cut a covenant, to cut a deal. You've heard that? To cut a covenant. So in ancient days, kings or individuals would make a covenant with one another and they would take animals and they would cut these animals in two and they would kind of make a gauntlet that you could walk between, a bloody gauntlet. It's like 
ancients were weird, right? So, and then the two kings or, or a king and a vassal, a subject, or, or two individuals, they would, they would walk kind of arm in arm through the dead animals. Why? Here's what they're saying. If I back out on my end, may it be done to me as has been done to these animals. That's what it means. Abraham knows what this means. Now, remember Abraham is in this, this trance-like thing. What's, who goes through, the, cov- who goes through the, the, the pieces? A smoking fire pot? That's just the weirdest thing ever. The word that's translated smoking fire pot, it's the same Hebrew description of the pillar of fire that accompanied Israel all throughout the time in the wilderness. It's the same description of the pillar of fire that that, that stood between Israel and Pharaoh's army. This This is nothing more than the presence of God. So who goes through the dead animals? God goes through the dead animals. Who watches passively? Abraham. What does this mean? What it means is this. God's saying to Abraham, you can know for certain that I'm going to keep my promise to you. And if I fail to keep my promise to you, May it be done to me as has been done to these animals. Furthermore, since I'm the only one going through these pieces, if you, Abraham, if you fail to keep your end of the bargain, may it be done unto me as has been done to these animals. That's how you can know for certain. Because God is so committed to his promise to you that if he fails, he will go to his death. Furthermore, if you fail, he will go to his death. And we've all failed. And that's why he went to his death. This covenant foreshadows foreshadows the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul, in riffing off of Genesis 15 in Romans chapter 4, I could, I could actually go through Romans 4, but last week the sermon went way long, and I'm going to try to land the plane just a little bit shorter. The last thing that Paul says about this, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He's talking about Abraham. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Speaking about the patriarch Abraham. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see what this is saying? Here's what Paul's saying. Yes, yes, I know you struggle with doubt, 
but believe and it will be credited to you as righteousness. Yes, yes, I know that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yes, I know that this flesh that you still have, that sin dwells within it. You can see this in Romans chapter 7. Paul talks about that. Yes, I know that the, that, that the flesh is willing, but, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, I know that you don't think you can do it, but here's the deal. You failed, and he paid for your failure. This is a covenant that cannot be undone. It's not based upon your faithfulness. It's not based upon my ability. It's not based upon your ability. It's based upon the sovereign call of God. It's based upon the immutable character of God. And when the promise maker makes a promise and he says, I will go to my death to make sure that my promise to you is fulfilled, you can know that he went to his death and that promise will be fulfilled. You overcome doubt not by trying harder to believe, but by being real with God with your doubts and focusing on the covenant that he's made with you through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Everybody doubts. Everybody fails. But Jesus didn't fail. Jesus never wavered. And even though we are faithless, he is always faithful. So fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. I'm going to close in prayer. And for those of you, you're struggling with doubt, you're struggling with a circumstance, a failure, a crisis, just want to invite you to come forward. There will be people up here to pray for and with you. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for the promises that you've made that are, that are eternal, that are, are rooted not in our ability to keep our end of the deal, but they're rooted in your character, your purpose, your plan, your nature. God, thank you for always keeping your promises. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, the author and perfecter of our our faith. And Lord, encourage those who are doubting yet today. Even right now, Lord, I pray for those who have not yet trusted you as Savior. I pray that today they would answer the call, they would believe, and that you would declare them righteous in Christ. And Lord, for those who have believed, I pray that you continue to help us believe, to trust you, and Lord, to, to lean on your everlasting promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.